0: Welcome to Jawbone with Dr. J and Dr. J. I'm John Monza, professor of strategy at the Joint Advanced Warfighting School, and I'm joined with my friend and colleague, Dr. John Michalschek, who is a professor of theory and history at JAWS. Today we're going to do something different. We have no guests, uh, but John and I are going to lay out our top three field commanders of all time. So this is international, all-time, as far back in history as as we want to go. Uh, John, let me turn it over to you to, to tell them the process.
1: All right. We have a very elegant process on how we did this. Um, so one day, John and I were talking in the hall. We did not have a lot of guest speakers coming this week or next, and we thought we would do a conversation piece or a episode on – our best generals, our favorite generals. The list was originally supposed to be top five, but one Dr. Manzik doesn't know top, <laughs> couldn't get five generals. So we narrowed it down to three. Um, in our system, we used to base what three was. We at We said, you must pick three field commanders across all history. That was it. No other, you know ways to think about it there was no modern versus ancient it was you just pick three and defend it and we do not know each other's lists uh so if they hopefully they don't are not all the same because then that will be not very entertaining um but what we're going to do is john will kick off with his third greatest field commander in why.
0: So the third greatest field commander on my list is someone who I don't think made John Michael Sheck's list, and that is General George Washington. So why Washington? Um, not just father of the country, but I think actually an excellent field commander, uh, a gentleman who, in the face of massive adversary uh, power from the UK at the time was able to, to gut it out through the American Revolution, uh, acted strategically and operationally to lead the, the colonies to uh, victory in the Revolutionary War. So uh, Washington, his knowledge of the terrain, his ability to keep the Continental Army together and, and carry out a smart, long war against the Brits, puts him in my top three.
1: All right, so I successfully anticipated your first terrible (laughs) pick. Um, And this is why we emphasize field commander. So we happen to both know a George Washington scholar, a lover of George Washington's thighs, one Dr. Craig Bruce Smith that we had on as a guest um, many episodes ago that was heard by dozens and (laughs) dozens of listeners. I asked Craig yesterday, I go, Dr. Craig, would you put George Washington as one of your top three field commanders? And do you know what he said?
0: I don't care what he said. I know the right answer. It's Washington.
1: And he said,
0: no. Strategic leader, yes. But as a field commander, he was, meh, just okay. So I would disagree, even with our Washington scholar. Well, I am disagreeing. And... I would say one of the greatest strengths of Washington was his ability to learn on the battlefield. And I think this is a hallmark of the American military. You know, early on, especially in the defense of New York, uh, a year after the Brits were booted out of Boston, Washington got hammered in New York, going toe to toe with the Brits. And he could have lost the war right there, but he and. and and green who was his right-hand man at at uh, the battle of new york they realized you can't go toe to toe with the brits and for the remainder of the war he only fought battles uh, generally where he knew that they would either wear down the brits through attrition or have overwhelming force or surprise like at trenton uh, in order to uh uh to win on the battlefield, so that flexibility, I think, with also you got to you got to take into account that you know he was severely outgunned uh, by the Brits. So his ability to bring together that ragtag army, integrate the militia with the with the Continental uh, regular forces, and he was victorious. So it's it's hard to uh, to counter victory on the battlefield and say that he was not a great field commander.
1: Uh, he could have been more victorious won rapidly quicker more awesomely but washington's your pick okay
0: that's all right fine. let's hear your number three <clears here throat> I, so i'm going
1: to set mine up so for those again dozens and dozens of listeners <laughs> across the world and if there's any bulgarian listeners in here i apologize um and all the greek listeners we don't have will probably like this so recently a article came out that caught some attention on social media that american men think about the roman empire every day so first off dr Monza, do you listen
0: or think about the roman empire every day so i've been following this in in media and i would (laughs) say actually yeah especially folks who study uh, political science or military history and there are many comparisons uh, to the united states and the roman empire and are we at the (laughs) At the end of our of our line. So it's interesting to look at, at the rise and fall of Rome if you're an American right. scholar.
1: Good. So you're aware. That's good. You're very, you're very hip. Your Instagram's blowing up. Um, so I personally am a military historian, unlike the person seated to my left who's an IR strategist. I don't know what your degree's in. What What is it, what is it in again? It's
0: called being awesome.
1: Being awesome. Yes. All right. So I w- think about the Roman Empire daily. I wake up. Uh, trying to seek revenge for 1453, but when we talk about the Roman Empire, I uh, think folk, you mean
0: 453. No, no, 1453. this is
1: this is exactly. So, when does the Roman Empire collapse? It is much later, is 1, this thousand the years. Eastern Roman, yes, Empire or, time, oh or known as the Byzantine. So, okay, my right. third best greatest field general is Basil the oh. Second, <laughs> nicknamed the Bulgar Slayer. So here's a little bit um, about him. Now, he does share some traits with one G-Dub himself, General George Washington. Uh, They both win their wars, and they both kind of, you know, they they die old men, uh, which all three of my guys will have. Now, here's a little quick bio because I think he is a fascinating character that is probably not on a lot of people's lists, but he should be. So he's born in 958. Um, he is the third of the Macedonian uh, dynasty, and he has a very interesting life. Dad dies young. He is then his mother, marries a another general, and you're going to like my Greek pronunciation here. So he will learn a little bit of what we think. This is why I love medieval ancient history, is you can just make stuff up and no one can really prove you wrong. So his wife marries a general who becomes the regent emperor. Uh, I'm going to try to do this. So, Rob, we're going to have to probably do this a couple of times. This would be oh good. Oh, my
0: God. It's getting so boring right now. Let's go. Let ready Shea. for
1: it? Niki Forest Focas. It's pretty good.
0: Is it? I good. wouldn't know.
1: All right. So he was one of the great generals. This is during the age where the Romans are expanding again. But what's going to happen to that character is he's going to be assassinated in a night raid in his own palace by his nephew, John Simases, who becomes John II. Who then, by this time, our, our young prince, Basil, is now older. Um, when John Skimases dies, uh, he is then left as regent or sole emperor, and he will reign roughly 963 to 1025. So in, if you actually go to his whole reign, he was reigning since he was basically born. But here's why I put him on my list. About so time. go. He loses his first battle but he's just the young prince, doesn't know anything, just, you know, raised in the palace. He then studies history. Oh, look at that. (laughs) Studies the the documents that they had preserved in their archives, and he goes on to wage and defeat the Bulgarians over the course of his lifetime. Um, And he will also fight in the East, leading to one of the greatest medieval exploits, which is in 994. He is campaigning in Bulgaria, he, he gets an email that his forces near Aleppo are being besieged by uh, the Islamic forces. And so what he does is he loads up his whole army. They each get two mules, one for their gear, one for themselves. And they march in 16 days from Bulgaria to Syria to break the siege. And that's Byzantine blitzkrieg in action. Uh, He then gets another moniker, the um, Basil the Bulgar Slayer, uh, because supposedly he blinds 15,000 Bulgarians, leaving every 100th guy with one eye to lead them back. So those numbers are probably enlarged. But that is why I have Basil II, um, who then dies as an old man, undefeated after his first battle in 1025.
0: Boom. Boom. You know, and you wonder why hardly anybody studies histories these days because the eye rolls of our audience while you were going through that ponderous and painful production, I'm sure, (laughs) have sent many of our dozens of listeners off to another podcast. But here I go with number two. My number two is Alexander the Great. Hack. Not a hack.
1: No, you are a hack for – just (laughs) – Go ahead,
0: so Alexander, you know why um, as a young man, you know, at age twenty, I think it was, he takes over command of the of his uh, forces and o- over the course of the next ten years, goes on to conquer really all of the known world and I think this is super cool, you know, and a, a little touchstone for me when I was in Afghanistan. I was able to crawl around on some of the fortifications that Alexander's troops had built in in far northern uh, Afghanistan. And, you know, you could just feel the history coming out of that place. And then he moved uh, even farther east to India, this like mythical land, uh, all the way from modern day Greece and and North Macedonia. So uh, I think Alexander never defeated in battle, died young. Lived as a warrior, led his troops in the field, one of the greatest generals of all time. All right. So I won't argue too much. Um You can't I
1: assumed you were gonna have Alex the Great on there too, because it's kind of your your list is kind of I think I know who your number one will be, but I won't say anything. <clears throat> um No 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 issues with Alexander the Great. Uh my list I tried to be a little more sophisticated. Um, And I already have touched on one Roman, which I do agree, Alexander's influence still being felt. uh, But if you look at the Roman Empire, once again, thinking about the Romans every day, uh, his influence is there. So my number two, would you like, do you think it will be an American, a Roman? It will be unconditional surrender Grant, Ulysses Mm. S. Grant, the greatest Civil War general Um, And that's right, the greatest general of the Civil War. Um, Why I think Grant, he is one of the first great modern commanders. Um, I also think for the dozens of students that listen, for maybe extra credit, you should read Grant's memoirs. It's, uh, I think, the most realistic and honest view of war. Um, Now, Grant, I think, shows up on some people's list, not maybe if we did top three presidents, he probably would not. Uh, but I think if you look at Grant's Vicksburg campaign um, and then his Overland campaign, uh, he understood operational art better than anyone at, in the Civil War. Um, and I think he was the man, the key general of that war. So I have him at number two.
0: So I would not push back on Grant as a as a great uh, strategic and operational leader of the American Civil War. And I would give him much credit for Figuring out the, the right strategy to go at uh, the South and, and lead to victory. Which brings me, though, to my number one. Oh, boy. Which is Genghis Khan. Oh. So why Genghis Khan? Again, somewhat similar to Alexander. Uh, living in the field, great field commander, uh, innovative Speedy, conquering not just the known world at the time, but but all the way to the uh, to the Caspian Sea, far, far to the to the west, um, sending you know his enemies reeling in fear before him. Just a, a great field commander. All
1: right, so you have officially broken the podcast. My number one is Genghis Khan.
0: Um, and tell me your reasoning, Michael. So here's mine,
1: and you, you actually, what you briefly touched on, because um, I, I, I'm sure your Wikipedia dive this morning was about <laughs> as deep as you went. Um, I think you were talking about the Great Raid, which he supervised and was a part of, that went all the way to um, modern-day Kiev, went all the way around the Caspian Sea, um, is, I think, the greatest raid in military history. Uh, And we talked about Grant's Vicksburg campaign briefly. Think about the great raid as Vicksburg's on steroids. Um, And that raid becomes the foundation for the further expansion of the Mongols uh, into Europe. Um, And then what else I give Genghis Khan credit for is we have him to thank for unifying China. It's under the Mongols, the Yuan dynasty of his grandson Kublai Khan that unifies the northern and southern dynasty uh but to me uh genghis khan is number one because the dude just didn't lose he fought in almost as many battles as any human um is a good rags to riches story um maybe not considered a great humanitarian by some but um uh, I think Genghis Khan, the way he organized, administrated his military uh, to dominate the Silk Road all the way from the Pacific all the way to Europe, uh, never been done before, and unlikely to be done again. And if you read, listen to podcasts on his life, I think, uh, and there's a, uh, what was it, a Netflix series or Star series on uh, Marco Polo, which is about Kubla Khan, which is pretty good who is the grandson of the great Genghis Khan.
0: So before we go on to our uh, backup <clears throat> generals, Yes. Uh, I would point out that if you do, you know, look on the internet at at artists' renditions of Genghis Khan, they look remarkably like one Dr. John Michael <laughs> Shea. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe that's why he's your number one. All right, but I've got some uh, notable mentions and I'm gonna give you three, John, before three? we wrap up right. this. Let me I'll give you three as well. One of them I know you're not gonna love, but that's okay because I love to irritate you. The first one would be Leonidas, the Greek <sighs> you're just, the go ahead. the Spartan who led the Greeks at Thermopylae. Um you know, this is a guy, talk about being all in on uh with your troops, leading them to To stop the Persians at the at the hot gates there, and you know, personal leadership hard to deny that that he was out there in in front with his men. Um, another backup would be Julius Caesar, uh, who you know famously conquered Gaul and and took his troops into the edges of the known world into Britannia at the time. A master of engineering, road building. Uh, sieges, -sieges, counter-sieges, and eventually seizing power. Maybe not a great uh, democratic leader, but seizing power in Rome. (laughs) And then the last one, which I think might irritate you, but it shouldn't if you're a good American, is Dwight Eisenhower, who kept that coalition together and maybe wasn't the most innovative uh, field commander, but he didn't screw it up, which I think is super important. And when you study, like you do, you know, folks who've been put into command of extraordinarily uh, important campaigns, like he was. Uh, um, he didn't crack. He kept his wits about him. He controlled the generals underneath him, including the one I thought you would mention, George Patton, and uh, was and led the U.S. to victory uh, and the Allies to victory in Europe in World War II. So
1: <clears throat> Eisenhower wouldn't be on my list because. In our big, uh, our analysis of how we would rank these field, field commanders. He
0: was a field
1: commander? That's, no. We will disagree. Uh, so you mentioned Caesar. Yes. I, I would have had, I considered putting Caesar on there, but I have too many Romans as is. Um, I also kicked around one George Smith Patton who someone wrote a really great book on him about his World War 1 experience and how it shaped him into the World War 2 general we know and love. Uh, also William Tecumseh Sherman, the great humanitarian of the Civil War. Um then I can't can't forget Lieutenant General retired Paul T. Michael Sheck. But, you know, that's for another day. So, <laughs> Sounds like
0: a little nepotism yeah, that's, there. Yes, Michael please,
1: Sheck. That's fine.
0: All right, so let's uh, wrap up this, uh, this podcast, John, uh, a short episode, and uh, enjoyed the exchange with you. Final words from you, Dr. Now, Michael Sheck.
1: So when we upload this, I will put my email address in for the dozens and dozens of listeners. If you have any questions, comments, critiques, ideas for episodes, maybe you want to be interviewed, hit me up on email.
0: Yes, hit up John Michael Sheck, but not one John Monson. That's right. All right, so John, your closing statement.
1: Uh, listen, there's a great band you should listen to, The Hue. It's a Mongolian rock band, and my two sons listen to them to get pumped up for their various sports. It's awesome. Listen to, uh, let me see, what's the name? Black Thunder. Um, and they have another one. I can't remember the name. But it, a lot of their songs were about Genghis Khan, so they would agree that Genghis Khan is number one. Be elite. Be elite. Read your crossword. Read your deck,